May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The story really begins with King Omri. In 1 Kings chapter 16, the 25th verse, we hear that King Omri was a terrible king. Actually, what we hear is that he did more evil than all of the kings of Israel before him, which is a lot to say for somebody who only ruled for seven years. And when he died, things didn't get a whole lot better because his son took over the throne. And when it came to his son, the fruit didn't fall far free, if you know what I mean. King Ahab was a terrible king. In part because of his character, he wasn't a particularly good guy. But it's also true that he wasn't a good leader. He wasn't a leader at all. He was a follower. And there's nothing wrong with being a follower unless you're supposed to be the leader, the king. And he might have gotten away with not being a good leader if he had surrounded himself with good people. But that's not what he did. He surrounded himself with terrible people, people who did terrible things. And for a lot of us, we're not a whole lot better than the company we keep. It takes a person with strong determination and a strong devotion and commitment to God to not give in to the ways of the people who we associate with. And so a first lesson comes from the story. If we surround ourselves with people who are always in trouble, it's not too long before we find ourselves in trouble. Now, one of the worst things King Ahab did was marry a woman named Jezebel. And yet, this is the Jezebel who made that name synonymous with the idea of a, a traitor, Jezebel. King Ahab was the king of Israel, the people of God, but Jezebel worshipped a different god, Baal. So how long do you think it took for Baal worship practices to start working their way into the nation of Israel when your king is a follower married to a worshiper of Baal? Your God said we can't do that. I'm glad I worship Baal. My God says I can do anything I want. Thou shalt not? Ah, oh, Baal says... You deserve it. It didn't take too long for the practices of Baal worship to start working their way into the nation of Israel. And so the prophets of Israel got busy. And they started going about the people, proclaiming to them that they needed to repent and return back to the one true Lord. Jezebel didn't like that at all. She ordered that all of the prophets of Israel be put to death. All of them. And many of them were killed. A few of them got saved. There was a good man in the palace named Obadiah who saved a hundred prophets by hiding them away in caves. But Jezebel thought they all got killed, all of them but one. There's one she could never quite capture, and his name was Elijah. Ah, but how much trouble can one Prophet cause, really. Second lesson that comes from the story, never 
underestimate the power of a God-fearing, God-loving person. Well, Jezebel replaced the prophets of Israel with the prophets of Baal, and Israel started to spin out of control. Meanwhile, Elijah was able to stay under the radar and work his way around the people, letting them know that a drought was coming because of their sinfulness. A drought was coming, and a drought came, and it was a severe drought. It lasted for years. And it was amazing how when things start to dry up around a person, a person starts to question life a little bit. There came a point where Elijah knew the people were ready. And so, Elijah did something that ended up being quite surprising. He went to the palace and he turned himself in. Before long, he found found himself in front of the king, which is a whole lot better than being found in front of the queen. And the king said, finally, I got my hands on this troublemaker. And Elijah said, I'm not the one who brought trouble into Israel. You're the one who brought trouble into Israel. Now here's what I want you to do. Remember, Ahab was a follower. And so, Elijah told him, that he was going to challenge all of the prophets of Baal to a competition. That the king was to order that all the prophets of Baal, all 850 of them, go up on top of a mountain where he would meet them there for this competition. And whoever won the competition, theirs was the true God. Ahab did as he was told. He ordered the prophets to go up on a mountain. He told the Israelite people, all who could make the journey, to go up and witness this thing. Once up there, Elijah brought out two bowls. He told the prophets of Baal that they were to take one of the bowls and butcher it while he butchered the other bowl. And then they were to go and collect some firewood for a fire, and he would collect some firewood for a fire, and they were to prepare it for a barbecue. Get it all ready except for don't light the fire. Don't light the fire. And so they went about their work, and soon the barbecue was ready. Everything was ready but the fire. And then Elijah said, now here's what we're going to do. You pray to Baal or whatever it is you pray to. I'll pray to the holy God of Israel, and we'll see whose God lights the fire. Age before beauty, something like that. Elijah let the prophets of Baal go first. And so they started praying, we beseech thee, O Baal, something like that. Demonstrate your power. Light the fire. Nothing happened. They prayed some more. Nothing happened. They prayed some more. Nothing happened. Elijah was kind of enjoying the scene. He even started to mock him a little bit. Maybe Baal's asleep. Maybe you ought to pray a little louder. And so they prayed a little louder, but nothing happened. And Maybe he bails out to lunch. Just keep praying. We'll see if he shows up. And they kept praying, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and not a spark. Nothing happened. As the day drew near to an end, it was Elijah's turn. And just to be certain that the people understood that there was no trick involved in this, he ordered folks to bring water. Four buckets of water dumped on his firewood. Then four more buckets of water dumped on his firewood. And then four more buckets of water dumped on his firewood until the water was good and soaked. And then he kneeled down and he prayed. Holy God of Israel, show your power that your people return to you 
and poof, there was fire, barbecue. The people of Israel fell to their face, realizing that they had strayed from the one true God. And then Elijah ordered the people of Israel to grab the prophets of Baal and to not let them go while he went up on the higher up onto the mountain, and he prayed for rain, and the rain came falling down and it drenched the people, it drenched the Israelites. It was like a baptism, a new beginning. Meanwhile, King Ahab, who had been there to witness this thing, had to make his way back to the palace, and he had the unpleasant business of informing his wife what had happened. And she became so angry, she ordered that Elijah be put to death, immediately put to death. And Elijah got worried, and so he started to run. And he ran, and he ran, and he ran until he collapsed, and he crawled underneath a broom tree. And there he was certain he would be captured, and he would die as he passed out in exhaustion. And then a spirit of the Lord came and touched him, gave him some food and some drink, and he passed back out again. And then the spirit of the Lord came to him a second time, touched him again, Gave him some food and some drinks, some bread and some wine. Told him to eat, that, he would, that it would strengthen him for his long journey ahead. He ate and he drank, and it strengthened him. And he departed, and for 40 days he traveled, until he made it to Mount Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. And there he found a cave, and he crawled inside. And the Lord God spoke and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Kind of reminds me of another story from the Bible. Remember the story of the walk to Emmaus? Jesus had been crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, the women had gone to prepare his body. When they arrived, the tomb was empty. Some angels spoke to them and told them that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. They were to go and instruct their, the disciples of this news, and, and they went. And meanwhile, there was a couple of disciples who decided to, to run away, head to a place called Emmaus, which was nowhere, really. Emmaus was simply a place to, to get away from Jerusalem. I mean, we know where Emmaus is. Sometimes we go there. Emmaus can be going to the movies, just to not have to think about it, whatever it might be. It could be going to the bar to disappear from it, whatever it might be. It can go sh be going shopping to take your mind off of it. It can be losing yourself in a second-rate novel or writing a second-rate sermon, for that matter. Emmaus is wherever you go to forget that the world holds nothing sacred, that even the best can suffer and die. And our best ideals and our best causes, they can be twisted around by selfish people with selfish desires. I mean, we know where Emmaus is. So they headed to Emmaus to get away from it, from the danger of being a disciple and from all of the rumors that were going around. And while they are traveling there, the Lord appeared to them. And remember what the Lord said to them? It wasn't exactly, what are you doing here? It was similar. What are you talking about? 
And then they spent the afternoon together talking. And in the evening, Jesus prepared a meal for them, gave them some bread and some wine. And as soon as they received that, their eyes were opened. They realized the Lord had been with them. And then the Lord vanished from their sight. And what happened next? Did they continue on to Emmaus? No, they turned around. They went back to Jerusalem because there was ministry to be done. And ministry does not happen in a cave. Elijah, what are you doing here? Well, Elijah couldn't say, I just wanted to spend a little time with you, God. After all, the Lord had already come to him in that time of his greatest need. When he's passed out under that broom tree, the Lord had already come to him and met that need. Elijah, what are you doing here? You know, I love you, God, and I want to serve you. But the Israelite people, they've wiped out all of the prophets. And now they're coming after me. Which is a long way of saying, I'm hiding, God. That's what I'm doing here. I'm hiding. Elijah, what are you doing here? Remember, he went to a cave to hide. I've been in a cave like that. Maybe you have too. I mean, life can get pretty overwhelming at times. We can start thinking to ourselves, I can't take one more thing. I can't handle one more problem, one more phone call. One more doctor's appointment. One more. And so we want to have a place that's safe, that feels separated from the troubles of the world. We know why he was hiding there. Elijah, what are you doing here? The Lord asked. Remember back when Elijah passed out under the broom tree, and the angel of the Lord came to him and gave him food and drink and said, take and eat this because you'll strengthen you for your long journey. Was the destination of that journey the cave? Was that what God had in mind for him to go to the cave? I mean, we don't know that. But we do know that once he arrived, he was standing out in the mouth of the cave when the wind began to blow and God was not in the wind. And then the earth began to shake, but God was not in the earthquake. And then there was fire, but God was not in the fire. And then there was silence, this deafening silence, this silence where you can feel your heartbeat, where you can hear yourself breathing, this silence where we come to know that we're not alone. And God was in the silence. But Elijah wasn't in the cave. He was out there where there was wind and earthquake and fire. That's where he experienced that silence. Elijah, what are you doing here? God asked. And the very next thing that God says to Elijah is to go. Go. Go back where you have come from, because your job isn't finished yet. 
It reminds me of an experience that I had when I was serving a church in Camp Verde, Arizona. At that time, I was running the youth group along with being the pastor of the church. And I was having a hard time getting adults to help with the youth group. It got so bad that one Sunday, I was standing before the congregation and I told them that I was going to have the ushers lock all the doors and nobody could leave until somebody volunteered to help me with the youth group. Now, I was kidding, sort of. But at the end of the service, in the greeting line, a man came up to me to shake my hand, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Pastor David, I just retired from teaching high school. I had my turn. It's somebody else's turn now. And I remember what I said to him because it may have been one of the wisest things I ever said, or it may have been one of the dumbest things that I ever said. I'm not certain which it is. But I said to him, you're not dead yet. What makes you think your turn is up? Well, that evening he showed up for youth group. He had a great time. He ended up having the time of his life for the next two years serving as one of the adult sponsors for the youth group. I mean, did you hear it? God doesn't abandon us in the midst of the circumstances of life. We don't have to go to a cave in order to draw near to God. God doesn't abandon us in the midst of the circumstances of life. God meets us in the midst of the circumstances of life and gives us what it is that we need. <clears throat> and what it is that we need is not Emmaus. What it is that we need is not a cave. What it is we need is Jesus. What it is that we need is assurance. What it is that we need is the strength of God, the bread and the cup. What it is that we need is Jesus. And God says to us, having received, go. There is work to be done. Elijah returned back to Israel. And once there, he anointed a new king. He wasn't dead yet. There was more for him to do. I suspect that's true for all of us in this room. We're not dead yet. There's something more God would have us do. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen.